Uh, hey, uh, Alex and Merlin, uh, are you guys? Uh, re- uh, we're going to go to the uh, Bay Area this week. Wow! Oh my God! Uh, wow! Way to take a note, guys. Way to uh, way to be excited. I, so for me, I went into that thinking it's not just a fun place I'm going to go to in a van. This is like somebody just literally said you're going to fucking Oz, and I'm like, what? Is that even a thing in a van? Uh, there, uh, there's so so much excitement to go to the Bay Area in this episode. Oh my gosh. Is it, uh, is it that good, Merlin? Oh, it's just amazing. Oh, my God. Oh, you can have anything delivered to anyone, inclusive, including other people. It's incredible. <laughs> it's a, it's a carriage as a service. It's, it's an amazing town. I'm, uh, so I'm coming to San Francisco. I got roped into speaking at uh, GDC on March, the week of March 14th. What's GDC? GDC is the Game Developers... C. Convention? Oh, yeah. Conference? That's a nice C. Conference. Mm-hmm. It's at Moscone Center. Moscone. That'd be fun. Yeah. I like the uh, the costly tea place on top of the Moscone Center. Oh, sure. You, you can watch people uh, take off their shirts and lay in the grass. Mm-hmm. It's a hell of a town. So I will be there. Uh, I will be there on the week of the 14th. And uh, we should, if we can, we should try and uh, record the podcast uh, in re- uh, IRL. Yeah, IRL. Sure, we could do that. Okay. Well, I don't want to <laughs> see what my office your, is like. I don't want to disclose your location, but we can say it's in the <laughs> Bay Area. Is that safe? <laughs> Everyone's so excited about it. Oh my goodness, they were so excited. All right, can we? I feel like we need a cat update. Is this the canonical place uh, for any sort of cat news? I feel bad. I feel like, see, the whole idea last week, and I'm sorry you weren't here for this. You you were at the hot dog camp. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the whole idea was I'd talk about it once. Okay. Know? But, well, but you know. the cat, here's the nature of the cat is it's always doing new things. Uh, I didn't know this. I, I thought it was just going to like, I thought it was going to be like buying a dish towel or something. You no, know, no, you, no, you no. Get, you have it for a while and it's the same until you throw it away. Yeah, but you're not even putting any costumes on the cat yet. So it's a whole new thing. It's like once you get that first Star Trek uniform that goes on the cat, it's a whole new ball game. Yeah, for me, you know, the strategy of mostly ignoring her, I think, paid off. And as you know, last night was pretty big. Can I describe the the video that we got? Yes. For our, for our for our listeners, so the video is the cat sort of tentatively comes wandering into the room, and you sort of put your hand out to the cat, and it just goes for it. It's just rubbing its head. Is it boy or girl? It's a girl. It's like somebody it's, told it it's going to San Francisco. It's so excited. She was so happy. She was just rubbing her head. This is how cats express affection is they just sort of headbutt you and, and rub their head all over you. You, 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 can't, you can't even imagine this. I'm sitting there. I'm getting ready to go to bed. I'm watching the TV. I'm sitting there in the dark. And, uh, and the cat comes up to the door of the lounge and kind of goes, hmm, like this. That, that, that's the sound of, of, of my cat's face makes. She goes, hmm. And I look over <laughs> at the cat. And I, and I don't really acknowledge her. I learned a new trick, which is you should blink slowly when you look at a cat and the, you hypnotize The slow it. blink. I just learned this. My mm-hmm. daughter does it. My daughter hypnotizes the cat now. It totally works. That's it's a Jackson weird. Galaxy move. That's high level. Uh, is it what? It's a Jackson Galaxy, the uh, cat whisperer. Oh. I'll have to Google that. Hmm. She, she comes up to the, to the door and she looks at me and she goes, hmm? And I'm, I'm, I'm watching TV. I'm watching John Oliver. Like, I'm not paying attention to you. You're a cat. Whatever. What's, uh, I haven't I haven't seen the new episode of John Oliver. Oh did he my pick? God. Did he pick some sort of um, uh, issue that you were already mad about and uh, uh, further enrage you to the point where you had to uh, post on social media you know about how witty and this? smart you know it was? On this so risky, Merlin. He's against the lottery. You know, oh he said goodness. it. He's he against the lottery, Merlin. <laughs> 
I, uh, this is uh, derail from the derail, but I enjoy him. I think he's very talented, and I think he shoots fish in a barrel a lot of the time. And I, and I, and I wonder, you know, I imagine he has a very good production staff, but I sometimes walk away feeling a little dirty because I think it's liberal porn. Most, <laughs> a lot of the time, he's basically, he's directly serving the wankability of liberals. Mm. And but I can feel it. I know when I'm being pandered to, and it makes me feel a little uneasy. Even if I agree with what he's saying, it's still, you know, it's like you said in the thing about philosophy. You want to learn, like, what's a good argument or a beautiful argument, like, whether or not you agree with it. And I think sometimes his arguments, I don't know. Uh, but I have to say, last night's was really good. It just happens to be an issue that I also feel strongly about, which is the... Uh, legality and accessibility of uh, women's caring up to and including abortion. And he killed it. It was so good. Because not just, I mean, the examples, the people he talked to, I don't know if everybody's saying 100% truth exactly right, but it was an incredibly effective piece of television. Well, uh, I'm happy that there is a liberal talk show that's willing to take a bold pro-choice stance. Uh, oh, so congratulations finally. to uh, the John Oliver people. Oh, you know, I'm just glad that finally somebody is willing to stand up to the way that 80s TV ministries bilked people. <laughs> My goodness. Can you imagine the meetings they had to have? Is this something that we should do? Is this, is this, is this something? Uh, I have a reckon about this, but aren't people going to be mad if we talk about people who stole from poor people? Yeah. Check cashing places. You know, the thing is, so many people I know love check cashing places that I can't believe. That, that he was willing to take such well, a strong, you, have you a very ever brave really stand. Thought about the uh, uh, beauty contests and those uh, Miss American pageants. I mean, are they really that great? I mean, it's glad it's glad that someone is uh, you know really talking about the tough issues. Oh, Max, I've suffered in silence. There's a lot of things I just won't say even to myself. I won't think of myself. I'll say shame on you for thinking that. Uh, I'll say my, my my only frustration because I feel like this is uh, this is not going to play well uh, to our uh, to our audience. I think they've they've already uh, decided that we're assholes. But I'll say my only my only. You know, like part of part of my life is I do some political organizing and that's my background. And it is always like liberals in, in general, like one of the issues that you always have, like, you know, move like kind of moving forward on the board with a progressive agenda is liberals tend to confuse being angry about something and, quote unquote, raising awareness with actual oh, like substantive and using phrases changes. like it's all about education. What could possibly be more condescending to right. other people, to strangers than saying it's all about education? Because right. you're basically assuming that they're children who just need to be shown the way. It's incredibly condescending. Oh, I got, I'm with you. I got two beefs, and I'm a flaming liberal, but there's two, two, I got two big beefs that I mostly keep to myself as long as I can. And one of them is be careful about how much you decide to find public discourse a form of entertainment in which you choose to participate. Like, you know, it's, it, oh, it's, it's real hilarious to go make fun of Donald Trump, except every time you do that, everybody who's for Donald Trump sees, sees you doing that and goes, this, see, see, exactly. So, you know, if it's stuff you take real seriously, I mean, is that how you take it seriously? By taking pot shots? And the other thing is, my tent pole of all tent poles is that everybody has their reasons. There's not a single person in the world that thinks they're stupid and that needs to be informed by strangers. And just because you decide, I mean, how self-involved do you have to be to decide that you found the way above what everybody else thinks? Even if you want to persuade or educate or dialogue with other people, stop assuming that they're all stupid or don't have their reasons. It's just it's maddening to me that liberals are so great at tearing each other apart, like I'm doing now, and also by, they tear apart strangers just by assuming that everybody's dumb. It's like let's stop doing that. Well, there's uh, we got a, we got a lot of uh, Phillips on our uh, on our team on the uh, on the liberal politics team. A lot of people, a lot of people <laughs> are changing changing their avatars and uh, trying to please the judges and playing all these games and uh, forgetting that like voting and winning elections and and actually changing you know the 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 political. Uh, I, I made my Philip icon. I made my Philip icon green because Tehran. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that, so uh, as there. we know, that did resolve the issue. Uh, so we fixed it. We fixed Turan. Remember that? That's why we all okay. changed our icons. So back. I feel hey, this is like look, uh, it's, it's from Supernatural. Yeah. This is like an, an Inception episode. So now we need to come out of this dream and and we need to pop out a layer. I can't even call, remember call what the dream. Drop. Yeah, what dream layer were we in before this? So I'm sitting there and I'm watching John Oliver, <laughs> and the cat walks up to the doorway and looks at me, and the, and the cat's face goes. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> and I say, I'm not seeing you, cat. Uh, you know me. I don't see you. You know, I, I'm just, I'm just a guy watching TV. She goes away. She comes back. She goes away. She goes back. She finally walks into the room. We'll cut all this out. She walks into the room, which she very rarely does when we're home. She walks into the room. She walks further into the room. She walks up to like right in front of the TV, and she makes a 90 degree left turn. She's now in the room. She's in the room. So I'll, I'll cut this a little short. But something like an hour later, <laughs> like an hour later, she's done this like six times, and finally. She walks to the far end of the couch where I ain't. And she looks at me, and her face goes like this. Hmm? And she puts her two little paws under the couch. And I go, hmm? don't look. Don't look. Don't touch. Don't reach. Ignore a cat. Watch abortion show. Don't look. <laughs> I'm not looking. Flump. She jumps on the couch. She looks at me. Her face goes like this. Hmm? And I look over. I'm like, oh, hey, what? Whatever. How's it going? And she does that like four more times. So now it's been like an hour and a half. And I'm not moving. I'm just, I'm just watching TV. I'm watching Andrew's game again. It's better than people say. And so finally, oh. she, she, she walks, she walks up to ride me, right set aside that, huh? the politics, hot dog boy. She walks, <laughs> she walks up to me. She walks into my personal space, which cats do. And she, she looks at me, and her face goes like this. Hmm. And I put my hand out. And she does the thing where she ducks her head down and puts her head into my hands. And I'm like, Play it off legit. Don't look at the cat. And pretty soon, and of course she has to do this five or six more times to like make sure that I'm not going to like put her in a shredder or something. <laughs> she comes back again, and finally I made the move. I did the bro move. I picked up the cat. I put her on my lap, and then we just hung out. And that was it. And then and she's just, let me pet her. It was crazy. Then, then she goes, you know what she did after that? She ate. She had some food. She had some food. She's been hardly, hardly eating anything. She had some food. She, uh, she blew a tinky in the, in the can. <laughs> And uh, and uh, she had a little bit of water, and then she wandered around. Did it you, was the best night of my life. Uh, you you observed your, the cat drinking water. I could hear the tinka tinka. Okay, didn't know yeah. she just eating dry food. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You so, know, we got we got sold a little bit of a bill of goods with this cat. This, this cat that was supposedly six to eight years old. Mm-hmm. There's no fucking way this cat is six to eight years old. This is a ten year old cat. Oh, <laughs> okay. Once you spend some time with it, you go hmm. She's getting downright roomy looking, and she moves real slow. But last night, she was like she was like a regular cat. You know, she like walked around, and she, she had a little bounce to her step. And, uh, and, and I told my family this morning. I actually got out of bed and went and found my family. I told them about it this morning. That's a big day. It's a big day. And, you know, I mean, it's, I'm excited for me, selfishly, that I get to play with a cat. But also, I'm excited for her because to me, that means – and I don't, I don't know, fuck all about cats. I'm going to quit cursing now. I don't know anything about cats, but I, I reckon that this means she trusts, uh, that's a human word, but she doesn't think that we're going to throw in a shredder at least. Yeah. She, you know what I mean? Cat, cats take a long time to, uh, well, most cats, like I have a very shy cat, sort of similar in temperament to your cat, I think. And it takes my cat, even when we move or when anything sort of changes, it takes her a long time to sort of acclimate to the environment. But the one thing is that I think is, is a good sign. I have had my cat for over two years, and I have never observed her drinking water. I'm not sure she has ever had, she's had water in two years. 
You know what? As I sit here, I have to tell you, I, I have still not seen her actually drink water. I, I've heard the sound of something being consumed. Okay. And it's probably kibble. Okay. But you're right. But my cat's on the wet. My cat's on the wet food. Mm. She's on the good stuff. Mm. You really need that diaper genie, don't you? Well, no, I have the. Uh, I believe I sent you a link to this, but I have the cat. I have the this. Uh, poo, oh, we get the, the self cleaning, the right? Poo sphere. So it's sort of a sphere, right. and she goes in it and uh, does her number two or number one, mm. and uh, it clumps, it seals uh, the the litter, and then this the whole sphere sort of rotates upside down and deposits the poo into the diaper genie for me, and then uh, I just sort of take a trash can liner full of cat poo about once a week oh, and throw it, it in clumps the garbage. it seals and it isolates thanks nasa mm-hmm. that's amazing it i really i really have to say like if if the if the uh bathroom if the cat shit in your house is kind of a sticking point of getting a cat which it was for me that was one of the 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 number one uh, most uh, gross and uh, unsavory things about having the cat this this uh we'll put the link in the show notes but my uh, poo sphere the mm. poo sphere 2000 is uh, uh <laughs> really can't endorse this uh, product That'd be a good uh, hip hop name for you too. So, Ender's Game. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Did you read the book? Does the book? Do you care about the book? Well, well, Does, do you like question. the book? You've changed since you went to hot dog school. Sorry, You've really changed. I'm sorry. I have strong feelings about this. Uh, I haven't read the book. I know it got many plaudits okay. uh, when it came out, but uh, I thought the movie was really good, and I'm thinking of showing it to my kid. Uh, the, so, Ender's Game is very formative for a lot of people. I think you know, in in my sort of generation who are like nerds who grew up Ender's Game is a super formative book it mean, like it means a lot to me it's a really I think it's a very it's an it's an excellent story it's a really smart uh smart narrative and there's like smart plot twists it's really good like sort of young adult literature it's very dark it's very creepy it's nothing at all like the movie but however it is also like it gives to the sort of socially ostracized you know uh, awkward too smart for their own good fifth grader who gets this book in their hands the whole point of the book is like well every you know you're just like superior to everyone around you and right. you know it's like well all the suspicions be... you have about your superiority are well founded exactly right you're you're one of well you're one of these like elite cool people the same reason that young people get into like Ayn Rand right yep, it's like it, exactly. it f- flatters the things they believe about themselves. So anyway, but all that being said, and or- Orson Scott Card is uh, uh, an author, not without his uh, sort of uh, issues and political difficulties. So but, I hear. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> that is putting it quite mildly. <laughs> putting it pre- pre- pretty mildly. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, but I, uh, I, I really, the book does really mean a lot to me, and, and, I, do, and I do like it. Like, I don't take it as like a, uh, like a political gospel. It's just a good sci-fi story. And uh, I think it holds up after all of these years. I read it every once in a while. I go back and read it every once in a while. And, you know, this Ender's Game movie was in, like, development hell for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And the end product is just – it's just so different than the books. Like, it's just it, – it, the, whole, the whole thing about Ender's Game is it's really drawing on some cool, real military strategy and some cool history. They make people read it in the uh, armed services. It's something – it's on the, like, officer uh, training list. Absolutely. And it ta- and it's a really nicely, like, parables about, about military strategy and counter-strategy and stuff. And sacrifice. The, the point of the book is – oh, I, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it. I do recommend reading it. It hold, totally holds up. I give it to – I recommend it to people to read all the time, and people have a wonderful time reading it. It's, like, fun and, and funny and good. But uh, Ender is this small little scrawny kid, and he gets trained. Uh, he goes to battle school, and he gets trained. And uh, while he's there, he sort of outsmarts everyone, outsmarts the system. 
and what he lacks in physical ability, he makes up for in terms of being a, a brilliant tactician. Oh, in D and D, as if memory serves, we would call it charisma. He's he's he has built-in leadership by learning how to get not just what he wants, at least in the movie, get you know not just what he wants, but like the right thing by figuring out kind of like what other people's motivation is, and then incorporating that into uh you know what he says and does it, totally and the book the book wonderfully plays on that and demonstrates that by creating this cool sci-fi world this is what i love about science fiction it's this cool sci-fi world with a real set of constraints like you really understand what this world is about and what the rules are and how people are supposed to act and then they break the rules in really delightful surprising ways they turn the whole world up on its head and you're like this is awesome. Like I invested in this. I understand it. I care about this world. And now I'm seeing it from all these different angles. And I'm, and I'm kind of like learning something about human nature. So anyway, the movie is just a total piece of garbage and it's all about this kid who's good at fighting and he fights better than everyone else. So none of that fun comes to me, at least none of the sort of charm or fun comes through in the movie. And uh, boy is Harrison Ford just fully checked out in that movie. Yeah. My wife put that on the table after force awakens. She was like, he was really kind of barely in this. I was like, yeah, he was sort of in a different movie that had a lower budget. It, it was he was not. I don't know. Well, here's a, okay. Quick impressions. I, I haven't read the book, so you're probably right. Anybody who's read the book always likes the book better, almost always. So you know, I grant you that. But you know, as far as the downsides, I would see first of all, it feels really compressed. His his rise in again no spoilers, but his his rise through this system is so improbably fast in the movie. That I keep waiting for it to turn out that like he's that there's a prophecy somewhere or something like that, and you know what I mean. You know, everybody hates prophecy, so I mean, there's that. It feels compressed to where I, as I was watching it for the second time, I was thinking uh, this feels like a two-hour trailer for a two-season TV show. Yeah, it really felt like these are the high points. It was almost like a, like a fan fan edit where somebody, for the sake of argument, wanted to take one or two seasons of a TV show and see if they could make it into a movie, Battlestar Galactica style. Yeah, my other one of my other big beefs with that is um, a, a, where a TV show would have been better than a movie is in the in the world of the book. It's like, you know, humanity's not in a good place, like politically and and sort of in our in our place in the universe, we're very much at threat, and everything the the all the outer space stuff, the sci fi stuff, the equipment, everything is like run down, dirty, blade, kit bashed, Blade Runner, William Gibson, you know, space garbage, which is a cool aesthetic. It's the right aesthetic for that world and for that book. And you buy that this is it. It's like these people matter and they're on the brink and it's like everything is scarce. But when the Ender's Game movie just produced within an inch of its life, like everything is gla clear glass and CGI and stuff is flying around. And it's just like, this is not what I was promised. Like it, it, it's, yeah. you, it's very, it's very, I don't know, 2001 spaceship. And it really should be more of like uh, the spaceship from the matrix or something. Well, like I'll, I'll try not to apart. like it now. That, um, I just, that's all I ask. <laughs> it's all I ask is that, you know, I, appreci I, I appreciate Merlin, the note. I take I the mean, bold stances, right? I, I don't like uh, shitty movies and uh, yes. I'm against the lottery. That's, oh, my, absolutely. that's my big stance. Oh my gosh. Just, just, just the way, just the way people treat other people. My goodness. What a complicated world. Yeah. Uh, you know, the reason I watched it the second time uh, was because somehow, I don't know how, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, I would consider myself a, an okay big Coen Brothers fan. For some reason, I never saw True Grit. And I was all out of stuff to watch the other night. And I watched True Grit. And I really, really enjoyed it. It was not what I expected. And then it was, once again, not what I expected. It was not what I expected like three times. 
but I still liked it. It was kind of a weird movie. It was a well, it's a Coen Brothers movie. I mean, it's it's basically weird as a movie. This this is a movie made by movie super fans that know exactly what conventions they're they're screwing with all the time, even as they make probably up there with Deadwood in terms of like the most lively Western language. You know, like again, making it like Shakespeare. But um, but you know, uh, the reason I watched Ender's Game a second time, which I promise I'll stop liking it, even if I watch it in the future. Thank you. Is That's that, all uh, I ask. I know it's not a lot to ask. I but, mean, you I mean, know, watch it just for. Just what about check cashing? It. How do you feel about check cashing? <laughs> and so it's uh, the girl who plays Maddie in uh, in uh, True Grit is the uh, the Supergirl in this, the uh, manic pixie uh, space girl. Oh, I didn't put that together. Now, True I Grit. True Grit's a hell of a movie. Wow. Boy, that's a good movie. Jeff Bridges throws himself. By, we'll be talking about Top Chef any second now. Uh, Jeff Bridges seems to throw himself utterly into everything that he does. Like no matter what it is, even if it's like R.I.P.D. or whatever. Like he seems to just throw himself into everything, and he he seems like a hardworking actor and a decent man. Now compared to compare that to the uh, Harrison Ford's uh, 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 signature catchphrase from Ender's Game, where he looks right into the camera and he goes, "I'm just here for my paycheck." <laughs> but don't take it to a check cashing place. He won't have to. Now, uh, did, did you, uh, David Milch, uh, who made uh, Deadwood? Did you hear that uh, he is apparently he's totally broke? He gambled away like ten million dollars that he made from what? doing. Uh, what did he write? NYPD Blue and Deadwood, I think. And the other thing that he didn't, that, he, didn't he didn't get a big payday off of Treme. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait. Did he? Did Milch work on Treme? I could be wrong. Is that David Simon? David Simon did Treme. They're all. There's just one great, great rat king of but, of, of angry white writers. Uh, but David Milch apparently a great a, a large amount of Deadwood was written by David Milch on some sort of a bender or another lying on the floor because he had back pain fully. and he would just talk. He would talk like some kind of a beatific, you know, uh, some kind of a cult leader, and people would write down everything he said. Yeah, while while he was on pain pills. Is that is the craziest thing I've ever heard? I'm sorry to hear that about him. That sucks to hear. David Milch made $100 million and gambled away his fortune. That sucks. God, yeah. I hate gambling. Yeah. Oh, I know. Worse. It's a bold stance. I think, we're t- I think we're taking a bold stance on this podcast. If you send David Milch a check, you know what? Don't send him. Pay- PayPal it to him so he doesn't have to go to one of those check cashing places. Take a, take a strong stand. Mm. All right. So I, so I pet the, petted the cat. John from Cincinnati. John from Cincinnati. Uh, it was a wonderful cat video. I'm, I'm, re- I'm, I'm unironically totally loving these cat videos. Mer- for people who may not know this, Merlin is sending Alex and I uh, a series of cat, cat videos. I feel like uh, I'm, a, I'm a real insider. You totally are. And I feel bad about her eyes because she's got these – I mean I feel guilty about it because like cat, some cats are like – you know, you see poodles where they get those brown – things like we she wouldn't let us go near her we've had the little wipes and everything we mm-hmm. went we went to the pet smart and bought wipes and we're like oh please let us wash your eyes you look so crusty and like she's only let us do it like twice now mm-hmm. we still have so much work to do six to eight years old my fanny give me a break <laughs> wait so she lets you trim the hair around her anus but won't <laughs> let you touch her eyes let me be clear. A lot of this is, you know, this is for, for our audience for dramatic effect. Uh, we've cleaned her eyes just now in the last couple of days that she's let us interact with her. Um, oh, I didn't tell you the other one. The other one was two days ago. I don't know where I just said, I just like, fuck it. I'm going to pick it up the cat. Fuck it. So I, I, I picked up the cat. <laughs> I picked up the cat. And my wife and I cornered her. When it got her in my daughter's room and cornered her. And, and like two rodeo clowns, we just, we attacked the cat. <laughs> wipes in did hand. She, did she run from you? Sure, she tried. Okay. She weighs six pounds. Okay. Six years old. Give me a fucking break. <laughs> and, so, and, and wait, how did that go? 
uh, okay, but then I really ate the booger because I thought, okay, great. This has been a breakthrough moment. I picked up the cat. I sit, My daughter's on, on the beanbag chair watching both burgers. I walk in. I say, look, I'm holding the cat. And I, I don't know what I was thinking. I put the cat into my daughter's lap. And, of course, the cat jumped to run away and scratched her a little. So my daughter was crestfallen and cried. And I felt like a terrible dad. Aww. This is this is this is a big part of being a dad is doing the wrong Scra- thing. Scratch her right intentionally reason. or unintentionally and just trying to get away. I don't think cats have intentionality. Oh yes, they do. My do cat. They? So my the only time my cats my cat has ever scratched me is accidentally when she's trying to get away from me or this was jump this out was of my totally uh, it was beyond accidental. This was incidental. Yeah, it was like it was just that you know she thought my daughter was carpeting. Yeah. No, cats have like theory of mind and stuff like they because they they're predators so they understand that they they can. Like a stalk a prey and understand that that they have information that the prey doesn't have. This is, this is fascinating, Max. Did you learn about this from Cat uh, Richard Dawkins, or, or is a selfish cat gene? Where'd you <laughs> learn about this? All right, all right, I get it, I get it. I got my, uh, I love my Andrews game and my Richard Dawkins and my. Three chefs remain. All right, let's see here. Wait a minute, those aren't my notes. What happened here? So we've got cats. Liberal, uh, contemporary liberal policy, Check uh, abortion, Ender's Mil- Game, and <laughs> gambling, <laughs> Jeff Bridges. Oh, there oh, we uh, go. Donald Trump. You got Donald Trump. Bingo. Yep, yep. There we go. Okay. Top Chef. Two <laughs> chefs remain. Uh, let's see uh, here. 35 minutes in. Let's let her roll. First thing I wrote down is a quote from Isaac who said, who saw MC Hammer coming? Certainly, I did not. Mm. I did not. Do you think they recognized him as MC Hammer or did someone have to be like, hey, hey, I bet they thought, why is that little football player guy here? He looks like (laughs) a little football player. Uh, I'm never sure because like a lot of times when they have um, someone show up, it's like Padma and a guy who you've never seen before in your life are standing there and then cut to one of the chefs in their direct-to-camera later going, we walked in and Padma was there with restaurant owner, L.A. restaurant owner Bill Chait. Everybody knows him. He is so-and-so-and-so. And I'm like, did they really, does everyone know that or were they told to sort of say that to the camera to set it oh, up? Oh, I think they're absolutely told to say that because none of us have any idea who there are. I mean, if, even I watch this show and I don't know who these people are. Like that bullfrog guy, I didn't know he was the Shea Panisse guy. I don't I have no idea who, who he is. He looks like a creep <laughs> from the library. I don't know. <laughs> So, yeah, no, they do that. And then, of course, they have to, I think, contractually probably, they have to, like, mention how incredibly important and influential this visiting person is. But, but you know, as a lot of people said, and I happen to agree, Hammer looks great. He does. I mean, I'm, he looks really good. He was pretty cool, too. Like, I mean, I could, <laughs> He wasn't that cool. He was... So I thought on the scale of how much he sold <laughs> the this layers challenge... Are, everybody, the layers are unfolding. <laughs> yeah, I did write that down. The layers are unfolding. Uh... <laughs> uh, uh well, uh, I thought the bread was uh, sucking up all the spices. Yeah, so basically, <laughs> I watched it three times, and last time I watched it with my family, and I said, so basically, MC Hammer is there to acknowledge that he heard you say it was spicy, and then indicate that, yes, it was spicy. Well, Thanks, y- Hammer. Please, Hammer, don't spice him. Uh, I don't know. I thought he sold it as well as it could be sold, but everybody, including him, he's charming. He's a nice man. He's a famously nice man. And and everybody, including him, knew that this had no business being on Top Chef. Like, why? How did this get conceptualized? He wasn't. He didn't even plug anything. Like, I kept saying, like, and uh, check out my new line of like hot sauces or my new album or something. (laughs) 
I, last thing I remember hearing, I, as you know, I have an anecdote here, but the last thing I remember in public news about Hammer was when, when he announced his big venture that he was going to create the YouTube of dance videos, to which the entire world responded with, I think there's already a YouTube of dance videos. It's called YouTube. <laughs> All right. Should we just, I feel like I, I'm, I'm fully excited to hear this MC Hammer anecdote, and I believe it also uh, involves that crazy tiki bar. Totally does. The Tonga I had, I, I, You know, I got to tell you, overall, I had uh, pretty strong feelings about this episode. Uh, the premise for the quick fire was terrible. The implementation was fun. And I loved the elimination challenge. Like stem to stern, I thought it was, I thought it was well conceived, well done. I think I was, once again, great to see everybody cooking well. I'm curious what you all think, because I thought overall this was a very good episode. I mean, even if you watch it to roll your eyes, uh, I thought it was a good episode. Uh, so I felt like the, I hated the quick fire. The quick fire is as gimmicky and silly and just poorly conceived and executed as Top Chef gets. But the uh, the uh, elimination challenge, this is to me like the ultimate like like validation episode of this idea that if there's not so many gimmicks and you just let the chefs cook good food and you don't put too many constraints, you just put the right amount of constraints on them. Like it is legitimately impressive and cool to see what they come up with. Totally agree. What do you think, Alex? Are we going to talk about the wrapping that happened? Oh yeah, we're, we're just gonna... so talking about the wrapping. Uh, uh, so okay. I think before we, before I know how much to make fun of MC Hammer, I really want to hear uh, uh, Merlin's story about this. Well, it's not really exactly the appropriate time to tell it yet because okay. we haven't gotten to like for people who haven't seen the episode, they're not going to know why this is interesting. So we need to set up that okay, MC. In case people can uh, infer from context, the uh, the chefs walk in uh, to uh, not really Jack walk in, they walk up to this sort of yeah like outdoor kitchen that was set up somewhere overlooking a bay. I think, and uh, in uh, uh, where, where where were they? Oakland, in, uh, Oakland, yeah. And uh, MC Hammer is there, and MC Hammer asks them. He tells the story of how he picked his uh, rap name, which is honestly one of the least interesting stories I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and then uh, it's like naming yourself MC Music because you like music. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Someone called him the Hammer, which was like something relating to a baseball His player. His story's and... nice. He, you remember that brutal behind the music about him? No. Oh, my God. As, as parodied on The Simpsons. Oh, Hammer. Oh, my God. Poor Hammer. He made all this money, and then he's, he was incredibly generous with people. Mm-hmm. He had this, like, if there's nothing to take away, I mean, apart from avoiding the cocaine, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, you, you got to avoid the entourage. He had... An entourage, like with an entourage, he was buying everybody like Christmas presents. The camera goes, the entourage comes. The entourage brings their family. Like he spent a ridiculous amount of money because he's because he's a basically really nice guy, but also you know he's a sweet kid, not the richest kid in the world growing up, and he was a bat boy uh, for the A's, and uh, it's that's kind of a sweet story. Huh. Well, uh, the challenge is the uh, all the chefs, the remaining chefs, need to pick a rap name for themselves oh. and then cook a dish that exemplifies their rap name. Uh, terrible challenge. Just not- part of that classic French tradition of picking a rap, rap, rap name for yourself out of nowhere and then making a food based on it. it, it, it and, and it's one of the mother sauces. Really, it went. It was as awkward and upsetting to watch as you're imagining if you haven't seen uh, seen the episode. Really, especially because everybody felt the need to. To of course, they had to do some backstory on each person and uh, Carl. Everybody did. People were doing little raps and doing a little hammer dance, and it was. It was just hard to watch. So, so should we go through everyone's names? I, I have my little list here. Please do. Hi. All right. Yeah. So, so Amar, <laughs> so Amar, who I think his last name is Santana, although I didn't yep. put that together until later. His name was Santana Love. Now, I thought he possibly Santana Santana Lava. Santana Lava. I'm sorry. L O V A H. I'm sorry. Santana Lava. 
And I thought maybe he picked that out of because he is a big fan of the musician Carlos Santana, but that's just his last name. So I actually think it's a little bit better. And he his story was he made he had his ex girlfriend uh, who he, he broke up with him because he didn't really have enough time for the relationship. Uh, <laughs> so he says this woman comes up a lot, and he's going to get her back. I could just see him like trying to see through the frosted glass of her bathroom at her new house. Oh, like boy. he he comes across real creepy when he talks about this woman. Yeah, but uh, his this is another one of those like quote unquote inspiration stories that kind of I just was a little like rolling my eyes at. He's like my ex girlfriend. Uh, loved Chilean sea bass, so that's what I'm cooking. And really, here's the thing: is if you're on Top Chef, you could sort of say that about anything. Uh, my ex girlfriend, she loved pork belly, so I've prepared for you a pork belly dish that I, you know, just looked good and I wanted to make it. It's like one of those things of like it's a it's a just a story to make whatever you want. Uh, and then he made a a dashi, a Chilean sea bass and dashi, and he said he was going to make his dashi really sexy. So sexy, he had a sexy dashi. <laughs> Jeremy, uh, who I increasingly am just growing to uh, really not enjoy hearing from, uh, called himself Spicy J Rock Three Hundred Five. He's that's literally the worst name I've ever. Heard. Uh, he's uh, well, Merlin. He's a little rock and a little rap. Yeah, he, he explained it, and I still don't understand it. He's got an area code in there. He uh, surfs. I just but, he plays, plays yeah, but drums. The, the rock, Shut up! Stop! The, stop talking, Jeremy. I know Merlin. The rock part is going to be him rocking out service. Oh, you know what? I get it now. Yeah. Spicy uh, J Rock. Also, here's where you can call me. It's in my name. 305. Mm. Uh, Kwame uh, revealed that he used to be a rapper, and he used to be a producer, and um, uh, he would uh, spit a little bit. And uh, I feel like at this point, we're aware of a <laughs> lot you, of Kwame's you, past careers. Did you, did you appreciate that photo of him on stage looking like Lenny Bruce? It's yeah. just him sitting on a stool. Yeah. It's like, he looks, what, what are you, Noam Chomsky stand up? <laughs> Uh, so at this point, we know Kwame's been a rapper, a drug dealer, a restaurateur. I feel like we there's some other careers that have come up. I just keep remembering that his dad didn't love him. Yeah. Aw. Well, and he's and he's libidinal. He loves the ladies. He, well, he, he did get a he did get a little bit of a kiss from uh, Padma this week. He did. And uh, Kwame's name was probably the best one. It was Baelish, which I thought was pretty good. He's going to yeah. make delicious food in the Bay. You see. I see. Uh, Isaac was uh, Toops legit, as in Toops legit to quit. And then he did a little dance. And he did his little dance. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a big surprise, but um, Isaac uh, really um, went for it, and he prepared some legit New Orleans food straight out of Mardi Gras for this challenge. Uh, Right right here in O-Town. Yeah. Karen was the pink dragon, um, and she she prepared some hot and spicy soup realness. Her 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 range is really broad. It goes all the way from pink hair to names based on her pink hair. She's had uh, a couple of those now. And uh, finally, Carl. Now, I have a question before we get into Carl's name. Is this the Carl that you've been referring to throughout the season as Handsome Carl? Handsome Carl, yeah. I don't. I don't. I, Carl kind of looks vaguely like um, a space alien wearing human skin to me. No. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I was like a little to... bit like uh, like an uncannily uncanny valley robot. Somebody hasn't finished. Yeah, it's He's a like little, half a robot. Yeah, he looks a little like Jude Law from AI. I love you. Maybe that's why I think he is indeed a handsome Carl. He's he just. But Alex, you love robots. He, it, this makes a lot of sense, and he's also the least broy of the only bro left is Jason. Really? Oh, uh, uh, Amar gets pretty broy. Uh. Amar is a little bit of a bro. I believe I've observed some uh, chest bumping. So Carl's uh, original name was uh, Swanye Plush. <laughs> 
Uh, that which... sounds like something they teach you in a class at the Seduction Community College. <laughs> <laughs> seduction Community College. First of all, spill a drink on her. Now urinate. That's right. Spit in a drink and throw it on a friend. Tell her it looks good. Oh my God! Between this and like Is the evolution comments and the making fun of liberals and the Ender's Game, we're really hitting all the obnoxious. Excuse uh, me, I listen to this show because I'm a fan of the, the Top Chef program. I had no idea that she would be so <laughs> problematic. When did she become so problematic? Yes, and he got an MC, uh, MC Ganey, MC Hammer. He got an MC Hammer record when he was a kid, and it made him want to write some dope rhymes. And then he did the classic, when he did his rap, he did the classic, starting by saying what his name is. I'm Dr. Funky Fresh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was also, when Carl did, when he kind of gave his food to uh, uh, MC Hammer, there was a great awkward moment where he sort of he was like can, can someone drop a beat and he's and then he just sort of looks around <laughs> but i'm sure in reality there's like a lot of people standing around because there's like sound people and camera people and the judges and all that but to, to us looking at it through the camera he just appeared to be like can someone drop a beat and then just like helplessly looked around into the distance and, and like no one padman's not going to drop a beat for him like i don't know what the plan was there no no he's like a guy who had one too many moose heads at the wedding reception yeah. <laughs> wants to hear me rap. Yeah. If I want to hear me rap. Well, he made uh, some Vietnamese food, which uh, is uh, funky and fresh. And uh, Marjorie was Miss Punch a lot because she uh, punched I thought people. that was cute. Yeah. Uh, I like the montage of her punching people because I love Marjorie. <laughs> uh, they, did, uh, they did find some, uh, some nice, uh, like, w- is, that, is that a thing that's been established that she punches people a lot? No, okay. she she does it lovingly. There's okay. been a couple shots of her, like like she does a like slow good good job, buddy sort of punch. She says she punches when she gets nervous. It was totally cute, but I know it's like a jokey like punch in the arm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's see. Uh, MC Hammer, uh, he liked Carl's food. Uh, he said uh, the layers are uh, really unfolding, and then he fist bumped mm. Carl. Um, Carl told, oh, and then furthermore, Carl told MC Hammer that the, quote, the ladies love a good bass. Uh, <laughs> that's a sentence I wouldn't have expected. Just a fact. And, uh, Kwame got a little kiss from Padma. Seduction Community College. Uh, Marjorie, well, it's, uh, Seduction 101. The ladies love First a good bass. First of all, you bass. get a bass, because yeah. ladies love a bass. You writing this down? <laughs> uh, Marjorie's bread was sucking up all the spices. And uh, that was it. Who won? I didn't even write down who won. Cajun Man 5000. Oh, Isaac. That's right. Oh, Cajun Man, right. Toop's legit. And he kept doing that hand thing. It uh, made made, uh, MC Hammer uh, just uh, think about being in uh, Mardi Gras. Yeah. That's right. I remember that. Uh, The the only thing. (laughs) I am in Oakland. (laughs) The the thing this reminded me the most of was uh, uh, there's a great moment on uh, uh, Real Time with Bill Maher where uh, Most Deaf was on with Christopher Hitchens, and Christopher Hitchens referred to him as Mr. Definitely the entire time. <laughs> and I don't know why that kept coming to mind when they were all talking about hammer this and hammer that. I was just like, Mr. Definitely. Did you guys pick your uh, rap names based on the food you feel like making? Oh, boy. I knew you were going to ask me that, and I, and, I, and I was like, I should think of something witty, and then I didn't. You could be Toops Hot Dog. Yeah, Big Hot Dog Boy. Hot dog boy. That would be my. What about you, Alex? That would be my name. Uh, no, no, no. 
I think at this point, if I hadn't already been sent no. home, I would have packed up my knives and sent myself home. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, the the Padma trying to get Kwame to rap was, I think, the most awkward prompt in Top Chef history. Like, I, I hear you've had have some rapping in your past, and he just he yeah, tried. You may, have, you may never have another chance <laughs> to, to rap in front of a guy who had a hit twenty five years ago. Yeah, and he, I mean, to his credit, he he, he started, and then he's just like, I don't know, nope, and and uh, <laughs> just wa- walked away from it. So how did it end? Uh, Isaac, tubes, 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 legit. Isaac, Isaac was on top. Yeah, I mean, that was over, and that was good. He did a and then dance. They had to say good. He did. He did several little dances. He looked like uh, Mr. Krabs uh, from SpongeBob when he gets excited about money. <laughs> I'm dropping me. I'm dropping me rhyme, SpongeBob. <laughs> Mr. Squidward, get me some kick in your sandwich. I love Mr. Krabs. I love, love that his legs, like his legs have been removed, right? Because he's a crab. Somebody ate his legs. He's got little stumps. I'm it's not, adorable. I'm not. Uh, I'm not too familiar with SpongeBob lore, so I'm going to trust oh. you on that one. It's a pretty good show. <laughs> All right, Merlin. What do we got to do to get this uh, MC Hammer story out of you? Oh, you know what? Now it just feels lame. No, no, we got to hear it. No, 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 it's not lame. All I will say, no, no, oh, no, is, no forget. Now it's lame. It's this lame. is torture. No, it's it's not even that interesting. But it was it was just weird because uh, I was so, promised a personal anecdote between Merlin Man and MC Hammer. No, no, it was way worse than that. No, it was one of these dumb things I end up doing with stupid John Roderick. Uh, he and Ben <laughs> Gibbard were in town and. Uh, John's like, uh, Ben's, Ben's taking us to MC Hammer's 50th birthday party. <laughs> because I guess, I guess, uh, you know, Death Cab and Hammer go back a long way. <laughs> so, so we get in a cab and we go to the, the Tonga room and, uh, John Roderick and Ben Gibbard and I, uh, go to MC Hammer's birthday party. And it was really fucking weird. Uh, lots of Bay Area celebrities there. But uh, and the, the, I wouldn't mention this, except that it is kind of hilariously stupid that this even happened. Uh, but also that it was in the Tonga room, <laughs> literally the place where they will end up going and uh, and dingling ends up playing the drums. But, you know, it was really cool because I did not interact with Hammer except to walk by and say happy birthday. Enjoy your work. And uh, but, you know, what was really nice was that. So there's all these people and all these douchebags there and all these, you know, entertainment and government officials. Of course, Willie Brown is there. You know, Willie, Willie Brown's there when they open a urinal somewhere. Like, he's always there. He's the best. He's awesome. So there's all these people there. I ran into John Battelle's there. It's just totally weird, like, who's at this thing. And it was really weird to be there, and uh, it was odd. But you know what was amazing was that over in this little corner uh, was this group that I, I knew to be and was obviously MC Hammer's family. And it was this whole, like, extended family just, just like – probably a couple dozen african-american people of all different ages and it was really sweet it was it was really it was really nice it's it, i don't know it was it warmed my heart that in the midst of all this douchebaggery and all this fake polynesian stuff this room if you guys couldn't get it from this room this room used to be a swimming pool at the fairmont and then they turned it into this crazy tiki lounge with you know 35 dollar drinks at some point but it was really nice like there were just all these like old old african-american ladies there walking around and it was it was really it was nice and it was the kind of thing you get in San Francisco when you you know collide these different Bay Area cultures together. So it was it was fun and it was weird. And then we went up on the roof and uh, went up on the roof and uh, spit on the cable cars. 
What uh, can you explain what was happening? There was like a little boat in the water, and the boat moved around. I can, I can. So this used to be. If you go, I put some uh, links into notes because uh, Fairmont's a you know beautiful hotel, and so they ha- used to have this giant indoor swimming pool, like a very, very, very large pool in a very, very, very lar- large you know single room. It looks like something out of The Shining. If you can imagine what this what it originally looked like, you saw how big this room was. It's huge, and so the main feature is what would have been the deck of the pool. Uh, is now like tons of tables with little thatched roofs. It's really it's 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 great silly tiki kind of place with really overpriced drinks, and so uh, but in the midst of this is what used to be a swimming pool is now this lagoon and it rains inside. So they've got and they've installed this whole thing that makes it rain like once an hour or something like that into the pool. In the midst of the pool is this Gilligan's Island looking hut on on the floats, mm-hmm. and a, a, normally uh, a band is on that, like a bandstand that floats and moves slowly <laughs> across the lagoon uh, playing Top 40 music. This sounds like an adult rainforest cafe. <laughs> it kind of is. Yeah, it kind of, it's, it's a little bit like some kind of like a David Lynch fever dream. <laughs> now, does it, does the band just sort of aimlessly float around? No, they, they 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 float with purpose musically, and I think they just kind of move from one end to the other. It's but on a track uh, I've never or... seen anybody run up and just start playing the drums. Okay, yeah. So that was uh, that was a weird night. Yeah, no that kidding. didn't really. The anecdote doesn't go anywhere, but except to say that it was it was. I, the reason I keep saying this, I, uh, the anecdotes I've heard about him is that he is just a very very nice. G- generous to a fault person who tries to take care of the people around him. And I just thought that was nice. I mean, well, you know, is, it was a silly of, challenge, it, but it's, it's kind nice. of bringing it together for me of like, how did MC Hammer wind up on Top Chef of like, this is a guy who's nice to everyone. He knows everyone. He clearly really enjoys food. And he, he probably knew someone who knew someone. And he's like, listen, I really want to judge a challenge. Let's do a rap challenge. Well, he's also, I mean, I don't know if you remember like in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands, like Chuck D was really getting in front of a lot of stuff with digital music mm-hmm. and so like he had relationships he was kind of a i think a I don't say a budding entrepreneur because public enemy made a lot of dough but he was really i think he was trying to find things to invest in and he you'd always see chuck d at parties around town and stuff like that and ditto here there's a time i think hammer has been looking to diversify for a long time so you know we joke about the youtube of dance videos but i think he's always trying different things i remember um he did like a tour when blogger got uh, was it Google? He got a tour of Blogger, and everybody thought it was like really weird that MC Hammer was there. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's kind of a man about town, and of course, <clears throat> I don't understand most of what happens in this community anyway. But there's all kinds of people where you see this nexus of like entertainment and venture capital, and you know different kinds of investment things. So I think he's pretty mobbed up in that scene. All right. Well, this is a good uh, time to uh, take our sponsor break. Uh, let us uh, let's thank our sponsor, uh, Backblaze. Backblaze is our sponsor for this episode of the Top Scallops podcast and every episode of the Top Scallops podcast. Uh, Backblaze, in case people are uh, just maybe this is the first episode they've heard and they don't know what Backblaze is, and they might be wondering uh, what's Backblaze? What do they do? Uh, what are they blazing back? Uh, Backblaze is the uh, <laughs> it's uh, the uh, un- unlimited, unthrottled uh, backup solution for your Mac or PC. Uh, it just runs in the background on your computer. It uh, silently, seamlessly backs up all of your stuff onto the cloud so that if some sort of disaster happens or you lose your data or um, your uh, laptop falls into the swimming pool in the Tonga room, uh, your data is all in the cloud and you can just do a recovery. Uh, there's a lot of options. You can use the uh, iOS or the Android app to get your data back. You can just get one file back if you screw up one file. 
or if you uh, really uh, uh, lose the whole laptop in that uh, swimming pool, they will actually mail you a hard drive that's like a restore drive of your last backup. So uh, this is a, a wonderful service. I use it on, uh, on pretty much like every computer I touch, and it lets me just like sleep peacefully at night. Uh, and uh, I, we got to speak to our friend Yev at Backblaze, and I got to ask him uh, some questions about Backblaze, and we're going to hear a little bit about that uh, now in this part that Alex is going to cut in. So I've seen um, following like the, the um, Backblaze blog and, and following you on Twitter, I've seen a lot of talk about a new product called B2 Storage, and I legitim- I'm pretty good at computers, but I legitimately have no idea what this is. Can you walk me through it? Yeah, <laughs> so um, that, 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 that's usually like how we parse out the people where like we, we want to tell them more about it and then when, where we don't, right? So if they, if they can't, uh, if they don't know or understand what it is just by reading the, the, the website, then we're like, well, B2 is probably not for you. And that's okay. Like we have this other thing <laughs> called Backblaze Online Backup. Um, but so what B2 is, is it's a uh, API and CLI, which means that you are able to access our data center more or less directly and you can build applications and apps on top of it. Um, so for the longest time, people like we've, we've open sourced our hardware design. So like our storage servers and people have been asking us um, for access directly to our data center. Uh, meaning they don't want to use our application. They want to build their own application or they want to um, like tie it into their current backup schema instead of like downloading the Backblaze app. They want to do it themselves. They're more technical, right? Um, or they're a developer that wants to build something on their own. Uh, completely not storage related. Like let's say they want to build like a Dropbox or, you know, something similar to it. Um, and so that's what B2 is. It's a It's a gateway to allow customers to upload uh, and download their data directly to us without using the Backblaze online backup system. It's kind of like Amazon S3. So it would be, it's okay, so that was my question is like, it's kind of a competitor uh, to like an S3 or an Azure or something like that. Definitely, yep. So it's it's a competitor to Azure, uh, Amazon S3 or, uh, you know, Google uh, Cloud Storage. Um, and what's, what's main, the differentiating, uh, I mean, what's the differentiating feature? Like what, why, what, what's special about using B2? Yeah, so we're about a quarter of the price as the competitors. Um, so we designed our own storage servers, the Backblaze Storage Pod. They're the big red pods. Um, if you ever see pictures of our data centers online, I'll retweet them every now and again. Um, they will. Uh, you'll see these beautiful red storage pods, and those beautiful red storage pods are are of our design. We've since open sourced it, so anyone can build them. But it makes our storage costs really, really cheap, which is why online backup is only five dollars a month for unlimited data. Um, it's a really inexpensive uh, price point. And so we kind of pass the savings on to the customer and with B2 as well, meaning that uh, we're, we're, we come in at less than half a penny per gig uh, per, uh, per month uh, to store your data. So it's less than about a quarter of the price of uh, Amazon S3. That's like one of the most futuristic things I've ever heard. Yeah, that's, it's that's crazy. Uh, it, it's pretty cool. I mean, it, it's you know, it, it's a brand new service, right? Like we're still we're still in a beta. It's open, so anyone can use it. Um, we're hoping to come out of beta soon on that. And it's it's basically like if you want to tinker and build stuff, but you don't want to pay you know an exorbitant rate um, for the privilege of like goofing around and playing and like trying to build apps and stuff, um, then Backways B two is like a good starting point, right? 
um, or if you just want to have like an extra copy somewhere else, um, we're so inexpensive that the barrier to that is very, very minimal. I like to think that like um, we haven't done any initiatives or anything yet because we're still working on like making it more robust. But in the future, I'd like to think that we would be able to like partner with um, like some like younger or like youth groups or something uh, where where kids are like building apps or learning how to code or something and then uh, we'd be able to like give them inexpensive storage like just to play around right so they can get more familiar with like writing code and using apis and things like that if listeners of the top scallops podcast want to find out more about b2 storage and uh, especially find out when it comes out of beta where can they go for uh, that information yeah, if you just go to the same website that uh, you'd normally go to, which I believe is backblaze.com slash scallops, um, they, uh, they can just hit the, uh, the uh, B2 cloud storage link on the top right, um, and then it'll give you all of the information there, and you can then go to like a comparison page and see how we stack up with some of the competition and stuff. Cool. Okay, our thanks again to uh, Yev for chatting with us about Backblaze, and our thanks to Backblaze for sponsoring the Top Scallops podcast, and also... I can barely even believe this, but they are offering a free trial for listeners of the Top Scallops podcast at uh, backblaze.com slash scallops, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Thank you. Thanks, <laughs> thanks Black Blaze. I think I overdid it this week. No, I... Too much? I, I, I got a little excited. <laughs> what, what was really cool about talking to Yev is I he's just so passionate about this... I, I don't know. I expected him to just be like, you know, his uh, a, a PR guy, but like he really cares about people and, you know, not having them cry over losing their, uh, you know, dead um, parents photos. And I don't know. He's really nice. I'm going to cut this out. He's no, really no, cool. no. We uh, listen. He's Yev, Yev is for people. Let me get his. Let me figure out. I can never remember anyone's Twitter names uh, except for uh, Merlin's uh, hot dogs ladies. Hello. <laughs> Um, but that's just because it's from a funny book. Um, Yev is Yev. So on Twitter, Yev is Yev P. Definitely recommend following him. Like, I actually get a ton of insight into Backblaze, but also, like, he's just a, a really nice guy. Posts tons of, of funny and interesting and uh, relevant content. And, uh, yeah, we just have sort of a, a fun uh, online uh, friendship. Uh, Backblaze, uh, after um, uh, the other show that I do sometimes with my friend Pat Rothfuss, Pat is working on a novel, a uh, much-anticipated fantasy novel, the third uh, book in his series, and Pat left the drive with the novel on it at airport security, which is not only terrible from the sense of, um, you know, him losing all the work that he had done, but also terrible from the sense of, like, if he has that thing on, like, a thumb drive or a hard drive or whatever, and someone at airport security has that drive, Pat's actually, like, uh, vulnerable to extortion or someone who will leak the secrets of the book or try to sell it back to him or something like that, so... It was a, uh, Pat was in a horrible situation and, uh, Backblaze actually heard that episode of the podcast and was like, Hey, we should sponsor and just give Pat. I was begging Pat without, but this was before any sponsorship or anything. I was begging Pat to use Backblaze. I was like, please just do this on the cloud and not, you know, carry around a stupid hard drive that you're going to lose with your life's work on it. So they, uh, they came in and sponsor. We've been friends with Yev ever since. And, and they were pretty much, uh, our, uh, our one call when we, when we started this uh, stupid program. I'm a fan and an evangelist, and, uh, you know, do it before you need it, because someday you're going to need it. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right. Um, Let's see here. What did I write down? Uh, Jonathan Waxman, Mr. Definitely. Jeremy was definitely not a book guy in college. So it looks like the uh, Illumination Challenge 
Oh, well, first they go to the Tonga room, and then they get the. Well, they, 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 we haven't talked about what the challenge is yet. Okay, that's right. Because that, that happens back in Oakland when they uh, bring up Bullfrog Boy. That's right. Wait, Jonathan Waxman's Bullfrog Boy? Yeah, don't you think? I don't know, because when we had talked about this earlier, I couldn't remember his name, but he was on Top Chef Masters, and he was like, yeah, right, he was right. like the Jedi. Oh, is that right? He so well, he was he was like the first, along with Alice Waters, I think, was like he he helped open Chez Panisse. It's a he's a pretty big deal. Yes, and 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 they say like he helped define like California cuisine. I saw him. There's a a, um, a really good documentary. I think it's on Netflix called The Fruit Lady. Um, let me see if I can find this. Mer- uh, mm, this is good content. I think this is why people listen. Okay, so Fear No Fruit is this documentary about a woman named Frida Kaplan, and Frida Kaplan is this totally fascinating historical figure who introduced all of these fruits commercially into the United States. That's pe- stuff that nobody had ever seen or heard of. So, and and name not only introduced them but marketed them and named them. So she famously named the kiwi and introduced the kiwi into American fruit, but also like. Star fruit. Um, wow, I, I never heard. Yeah, this. so she, so a lot of what is considered California cuisine came from this older generation of chefs, the Jonathan Waxman generation, who knew Frida Kaplan, and they would say, "Get me this fruit," and she would figure out how to do it. And it's a family business. She owns the whole company. She's still alive, and she's profiled. It's a really nice, positive, you know, just just uh, friendly profile of her and the impact she's had on the food world. But Jonathan Waxman is interviewed. Uh, all of the sort of that older generation of famous California chefs are interviewed and they talk about how her work, Frida Kaplan's work, was like fundamental to figuring out California cuisine. Anyway, what the hell are we talking about? Top Chef, Jonathan Wax. It seems like such an obvious idea now because it's, it's so everywhere. But, you know, it's people who are growing up, time I was growing up, I mean, I didn't have asparagus that wasn't from a can until I was in college. They're just you didn't get fresh produce. You didn't get. I mean, yeah, sure, you get fresh produce. You could get either this kind of lettuce or that kind of lettuce. You know, you, you could have iceberg or romaine, pretty much. <laughs> I don't want to state it. You know, go too much, but I mean, first of all, groceries, groceries in general, any kind of you know perishables like that. It's a very fairly low margin business. Your your product goes bad very quickly, and so you want these hearty things that are going to be inexpensive to get. And that whole idea of you know, having these of really focusing on what ingredients are fresh, that I don't think that's always been a tentpole idea in American cooking. Well, and, and not only just the freshness and the quality, but also novelty. So one of the other things she hit upon was that people would there were there were consumers that were excited to try new things, which went against the conventional wisdom of retail of like, oh, people like iceberg lettuce. We need as much shelf space showing great iceberg lettuce as possible. So here's some of the foods that Frida Kaplan uh, introduced into the United States. I'm looking States. at this list and it's blowing my mind. Uh, elephant garlic, sunchokes, purple potatoes. Jicama, shallots, mangoes. Pine nuts, habanero chilies, spaghetti squash, squash, Asian pears. Like this was stuff that nobody was popularizing, importing, bringing to the United States until Alfa- she Alfalfa was. Alfalfa sprouts. You ever heard of those? I, ha- I have. It's crazy. Whenever I get my uh, Jimmy John sandwich delivered in 10 minutes or less to the office and I put the uh, alfalfa sprouts on it, I have to sign uh, a waiver saying that if I die from eating raw alfalfa sprouts, I won't sue the Jimmy John's Corporation. They'll only prepare them uh, medium well. Thanks, Frida. Spaghetti squash. So anyway, Jonathan Waxman, uh, he's the uh, he's the Jedi on Top Chef. He's kind of calm and collected and uh, uh, comes across very well on Top Chef Masters on his season. 
So they have, oh, that's right. They had the chef. So everyone draws knives. They get a number, and then they go up, according to their number, to this globe. And they pull out a pin from the globe that represents a time and a place. So, for example, uh, the Viking Age was uh, the one that Isaac chose. He had first choice. And the challenge is they have to cook something that f- that is from a certain place in the world, but also from a certain time period. So, mm-hmm. mo- and, and, I mean, in the interest of, of, you know, just facts that will become important later, even after everybody had chosen, there was still, what, f- at least four to six pins still in there. There was a very wide range of things to choose from. Uh, among the ones, so everyone picks their, their everyone makes their picks. Uh, Kwame gets uh, Chinese, and it was a big deal that uh, Karen really wanted Chinese, but she was last, so she couldn't get it. She wanted to pick in Japanese, but at the time when she goes to pick Japanese, the camera sort of pans over the globe, and I did sort of freeze frame it, and you can see, I think it was Italian Renaissance and French Revolution were still on the globe. So not bad, like, options to cook. It's not, like, you know, difficult or obscure to cook Italian or French food. At this point, all we know is that you're picking up this flag that says Belle Epoque, you know, Paris or whatever. So you know a little bit about it, but, you know, like, for example, something as general as Vikings. Well, you can guess what Vikings are, but then the, the really wonderful part of the twist comes in. Yeah, so they send all of the chefs to the uh, public library in, uh, was it in Oakland or in San Francisco? It's in San Francisco. Oh, wow. It is, uh, that is a very, uh, that's a famous library in You Look Nice Today lore. Is that where the, it, is that where the library elf would be? No, it's that, that's at my library, luckily. Okay. No, but it's uh, it's the big main branch of the library downtown, and it's spectacular. It's a it's a wonderful library. It's just it's so huge. It's so fun. But now uh, there's an episode of You Look Nice Today called Jabo, where I was talking about all the guys taking a bath in the sink in the men's <laughs> room down there, and we uh, came up with the idea for a musical based on that called Check It Out. <laughs> that's the Larkin Street Library. Uh, this made me really like. Uh, this uh, elimination challenge is by far my favorite of the entire season. Um, yep. And I got I, like I got really excited because no one chose France or Italy, and they weren't playing it safe. Like it, it they wanted to show. Um, <clears throat> I think they wanted to show off they could make different food, uh, and I expected them to bring in like experts on uh, each of these regions and time periods. And they've kind of done that in the past. But what what was with the library shtick? Like wh- why? I thought it was fun because the, the idea is that you have to go. And also I thought some of the banter and stuff was fun. The idea is you go to the library and with the help of the librarians there, you have to go learn about the history, culture, and cuisine of that time. So you can't just go, you know, oh, you know, hey, Bernays sauce. Like you have to find out what would be authentic at that time. And then I think that the one part that I think, once again, once again, I can't say that without sounding like a Morton Joe. <laughs> once again, the rules are confusing. <laughs> Once again, I send Tom Colicchio. Sorry, cut that out. Um, once again, uh, <laughs> my Imperator Furiosa. <laughs> uh, once again, we get some slightly confusing rules uh, because you know you're supposed to be doing the, the 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 x and y axis here is food of a certain region, the cuisine of this region, but then the uh, the y axis is of a certain time. And, you know, I as well, I don't know spoilers here, but, like, I thought their remarks on Marjorie's lamb was pretty lame. 
Bullfrog goes, oh, you know, this would never have been medium rare. And it's like, oh, yeah, but it also wouldn't have been on TV, you dummy. Like, this is, the, <laughs> I mean, don't you want to update this somewhat? You want to find some twist that makes them go, oh, what a brilliant reimagining where you really got the challenge. So you, you made this food. You know what I mean? There's got to be more to it than just like, you know, ye oldie steak or something like that. Well, and we've we've talked about this a lot <clears throat> on the program of just the, the this idea of like, the judges, even sometimes within the same episode, will have double standards. So sometimes it's like, well, they're going to ding the the contestant for taking too like, many like liberties. Literally contradictory from person to person. Literally contradictory, contradictory sets of imagined rules or expectations. Yeah. So so they they you know they would ding somebody. They ding Karen on. Oh well, your dish wasn't Japanese. It didn't read as Japanese. But then they would ding someone else on saying. Uh, it was too traditional. Why didn't you spice it up or, or, you know, show us something, you know, showing something interesting, put your twist on it. So I think that was left ambiguous. And I felt like some people handled it well. Some people didn't, you know, in Karen's case, she just sort of nodded and was like, well, sorry. But in Isaac's case, he made a great joke where they were like, Isaac, like, I don't think the Vikings would have done so-and-so this way. And he was like, the Vikings would have done a lot of things that I did. But this is what I made. And he sort of rode past it and, and everyone sort of nodded their heads and were, was OK with it. So, I, yeah. But, but just in, in passing, uh, as we, you know, we get more time with these folks and we get to see enough of what yeah, what they want us to think about this person at a given time. But I got to say, uh, two people that I'm feeling warmer about, um, I think Isaac and Amar are not quite the dinglings they're presented as. Like when you see Amar in a quieter moment, he seems like a really smart guy. Do you know what I mean? He isn't just all, you know, chest, chest bumping uh, dude bro. And both he and Isaac, I think they do have a lot of skills. They have a lot of enthusiasm. And whether that's the producers or their own sense of personal brand, yeah, they've got these big characters they play. But I think both of those two, uh, I just want to, I guess, in some ways provisionally apologize. I don't think, I, I think they're smarter than I, than I thought. And I think they're better than I thought. And it's getting more fun, especially with Isaac, to, to like watch what he does. Yeah, I- Isaac is definitely having his moment in the show. Like, I love hearing from him. And I think part of it is just, you know, when there's 12 contestants or whatever it starts with, like 16 contestants or whatever, at most, Isaac is only going to have one sixteenth of the episode where he gets to make his comment. So only the most outrageous, loudest things that he yells are going to be put in. So he's all automatic. Yeah. Even if you assume the best intentions, he's automatically edited into the biggest caricature of himself possible. But now there's, what, six chefs or seven chefs left? So he's a, I think they're down to six now. Yeah, so he's a sixth of the episode. So you just get to hear a lot more from him. And he turns out, just like every person, he turns out to be a lot more reasonable uh, you know, than, than when you just hear the loudest, craziest things they say. This is like broadly, that's like the, the, this is what's, what's so obnoxious about Twitter and why Twitter is just like the worst, lowest form of human communication because everybody is edited down into just the, you know, yell Isaac tubes like yelling about the the fig picking, you know, saw or whatever. It's like it's just the loudest, worst, most thoughtless, you know, biggest version of yourself with no new so much so much room for like double misinterpretations. Like somebody says something that might not be interpreted correctly. You might understand that they're Say, mean the opposite of what they're saying through a technique called irony or that they're, they're, they're in some way this is not or you're not saying it like I've done a bunch of things where I've said something and I thought it was very clear and then when I went back and reread it I would go oh that was absolutely not clear and it actually sounds like I was saying this other thing but then you got all these people responding and maybe they maybe they understood a different way they see a different thing it's like when you show anybody this is why I don't put all, that many pictures on the internet because anytime you put a picture up people will see everything except what you want them to see 
It's like, why do you put your books up that way? It's like, are you really? <laughs> it's a picture of my kid. Oh, boy. It's like, is that really the way your kitchen looks? You should remodel that. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. That's super sweet of you. Thank you. Uh, there's lots, lots of. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to take. A, I'm going to take a controversial point of view here. Communication is difficult and complicated. It's a lot like check cashing places. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> We're really hitting the big issues this episode. This is. We're very. This is a very special, very brave, very brave uh, role for us um, as, as an actor. You know, I just have to say, Top Chef coming out in favor of gay marriage finally in 2016. <laughs> it inspired their bold stance. It has inspired me to take a position on these issues. I, you know, I'm so glad I can finally. You guys, I'm so glad I can finally say this. Oh my god, I promise myself. I just ever since I was a child, I've eaten food, <laughs> and as I grew up, I would sometimes. <sighs> Have different kinds of food, and I would eat it. And then I would shit it out later and eat more food. And it's like food has been there for every step of the way, from when I was selling cotton candy on the subway to when I was stealing copper pipe for drugs. I was still always having food. And then I got older, and people died. I'm just glad. I'm just glad somebody has the courage to say that people eat. I'm not alone anymore. <laughs> wow. Thank you for raising our awareness, Merlin. And I will always love food. I'm going to turn my avatar brown for Merlin. <laughs> Doo-doo brown. <laughs> I made my daughter watch two MC Hammer videos. Oh, my God. What did she make of it? Was she like everybody she was did. insane? She was just like... It's like because it's this 25 years old now, and it's all like if you remember the videos from like, you know, there was that that switch. We talked about this on Roderick recently, but they're like around 1990, a lot of stuff changed. Rap rap was getting more and more mainstream, Mm -hmm. and that's when you saw like suddenly there was just it was like I guess I was starting with maybe Young MC around that era. You started getting tons of like girls in like bike pants Mm -hmm. doing the Running Man and Mm -hmm. and with like stuttery you know video. It's and the video seems so primitive. It's just a it's a bunch of a bunch of girls in bike pants doing a dance and then MC Hammer running around. But he's very gifted. Well, the the nineties were the were the turning point uh, where it wasn't. It was. I mean, I think for a while, rap and hip hop was like entertainers, right? So it was these like it was like MCs and people who would play records, and and this was like a, a supplemental thing that they added to the music. That was the backlash with Hammer was that I mean he had been like a semi serious rapper for a few years. And he'd had like was it who was he in the in the he had a big feud with not Houdini, no I forget who it was but he had a big feud going on about you know how he was too showbiz, and then he came out with you can't touch this, and like for at the time you take the combination of like Super Freak and what was the other big sample in it, and it was it was so fresh and so fun and so new. And uh, but it was very showbiz. Yeah, and there was a huge amount of backlash. Well, and 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 like and the '90s is where also like where rap is where at least the mainstream is like taking rap seriously. And there's issues of like authenticity, and there's like rap culture is starting to exist. And like like I grew up listening to rap music. Like it wasn't ever a new thing for well, me. This it was is just music. Not, you know, not more than a year or two out of like NWA. You know, coming around and, right. and Public Enemy had gotten big in the last year or so. So it was becoming certainly more politicized. It wasn't just, you know, my name is Run DMC and I'm here to say kind of stuff. Like, it was really maturing. Yeah. <laughs> my name is Run DMC. Like dumbass. <laughs> my name is Run DMC and I'm two different people. Uh, that's, to me, uh, speaking of bold stances, <laughs> have you heard Hamilton yet? 
<clears throat> I'm not familiar with it. What what is that? Uh it's uh, uh imagine uh you know it's a lot of uh my name is Max and I'm here to say like white guy rap. Oh right. Oh I'm Aaron Burr and I got a big gun and right. I shoot this motherfucker for a little bit of fun. That's pretty I'm good. Strip his face off the ten dollar bill. Take my pistol, I go out and kill the raps and rhymes on them. Rap it rap rap because I'm ripping rap 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 rap. That I actually think that's better than a lot of the hip hop that I've heard in Hamilton. I know this is all got to get edited out. I don't get the internet can't find out that I I'm not uh, super into Hamilton. I'll, I'll be uh, yep. excoriated. No. no, that's not an appropriate opinion. To Men say like publicly. you can never change two four six zero one. Now that's a fucking brave stance. Holy shit. I don't like I don't like cats and bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly the internet turns into a giant Korean water ghost and comes to your house. <laughs> anyway, not into Hamilton. Can't get into it. Not very good. All right. Uh let's see. Where so you essentially you're saying you're throwing away your shot. How are we talking? <laughs> Is that a Hamilton reference? I yeah. don't know. Okay. Great. How does a hot dog bastard talking on a podcast never mind. All right. <laughs> See, you're too. They got you too, Merlin. I haven't heard it yet. <clears throat> All right. Uh, right so, you know, let's just say for the sake of argument, I maybe uh, downloaded the uh, Grammy Awards from the internet and uh, watched that performance maybe five or six times a night. <laughs> All right. It's moving. Do you understand? He's not throwing away his shot. Do you know the story? I, Read your fucking history, sir. Yeah. No, it's And then uh, you know what he does? Uh, rap, Spoiler alert. He throws away his shot. Uh, intelligent historical <gasps> issues that I can relate Jesus to as a white person. Christ. Yeah, right. Hmm. Hmm. Chicks and ducks and geese better scurry when I tick you. I, you know, I watched The Music Man the other night, too. I'll just I'll watch me a musical. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to front. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, my name is Merlin. I like musical theater. <laughs> All right, Alex Hansel. D's not Gretel. All right. Let's what? see. Well, he, I mean, he's being. You really gotta cool. put all of this out. I'm a professional podcaster. Put <laughs> no. this out, sir. No, it's just I'm gonna, gonna be release me making uh, owl sound effects for. Uh, okay, 10 you know what? I'm gonna release my own uh, podcast at Avignon. Okay, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna put this out, and then the internet can find out what a monster you are. Uh, as the uh, contestants are going to the library to uh, study for their courses, uh, we do find out uh, one of my favorite details. Uh, from this episode, Karen <laughs> minored in women's studies just so she could meet other women. Uh, in the women's she's studies a queer. Program. She's a queer lady. Yeah, it was that was that was pretty charming. Actually, I thought that was really sweet. And then Jeremy said uh, he was definitely not a book guy in college. Which, yep. What kind of classes did he take, Matt? Checks out. Uh, what did he take? Surfing. Surfing. Right. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, every every new detail well. I learn about him makes him more excruciating <laughs> to me. I I really don't think that Jeremy and I could hang out. I don't think either of us could tolerate the other. I don't think he'd want it either, no. Yeah. And boy, that was some shitty-ass drum playing. Wow, what was that? They just called to him, Merlin. Well, you, you oh, know, you drink, enough, uh, you drink enough bowls of rum, and you think you can play the drums. <laughs> okay, here's, here's the thing. If you've ever played a musical instrument, like, uh, like a, in a rock band, like there's one thing that everybody knows. Don't be the guy who says, is it cool if I play your guitar? Never do that. You don't go and play other people's drums. You could like you could you know take his mom out to the submarine races before he plays drums. Don't do that. That's wrong. Is that is that another musician etiquette? Oh, absolutely. You never you never want to be that guy. Interesting. Like between sets, like the dude bro comes up. He's like, okay, is it cool if I play your guitar? Oh, you mean at a gig, not in a social situation. Just anywhere. Those drums were unaccompanied. They were like unaccompanied minors. They're just sitting there, and this guy walks up and okay, cut this out. No, no, this is good. This is helping people. I think this is why people listen to this program. 
Well, you I just wait till my that. podcast. Wait till, wait, you just wait till my competing pod, <laughs> podcast come out. That's also sponsored by Black Blaze. You're, you're not going to believe what people are going to know what you're really like. <laughs> All right. We're, we're the, Let's wrap this we're up. Too, we're too deep into the dream. <laughs> Merlin, did anybody... If we die in the dream, we die in real life. <laughs> oh, we got to do the drop. Yeah. Did anyone, uh, in your Bacon Ray days, did anybody touch your guitar? It, it seems well, like... Well, people would always want to. Oh, it's like the, people would come up. It was, it was worse when I was... I, I did a lot of stuff solo where I would just play an acoustic. I had to play original stuff and covers and... Uh, that's how it started for me in Tallahassee. It was like, you know, whether it's at a coffee house or I would have paying gigs or whatever. And, of course, if you're a person alone with an acoustic guitar, someone will want to come up and play it. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. It's the worst. Are there recordings of, of this, of you playing solo? I only put out three cassettes. <laughs> yeah. Are they? Yeah, are there's they... tons of stuff of me out there. Oh, mm-hmm. I want to hear this. I haven't ever heard any nope. uh, solo stuff. Nope. Yeah, it's not gonna happen. It's in the vault. I deny it. I'm gonna put a bounty no, it's on not this. Bad. We'll I, find I, it's it. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah, we'll yeah. find it. Yeah, yeah. It's just me singing really fast. I could. I, that's, so, that checks out. So, foods of many lands. You go and you read and you look at the book and you get some help, and then uh, they go to that gorgeous kitchen at the Federal uh, Reserve Building. Right. My, my wife is familiar with that place from doing events there. She said it's, it's a beautiful venue. It, the kitchen did look. The kitchen looked awesome. This So it seemed like in this episode there was the challenge of everyone had to go out of their comfort zone and cook a thing that they didn't fully know about. But then there was this weird offhand comment I caught where Padma was like, when you get back, we'll like have all the proteins for you. So they must have hooked them up with like all these like rare, good proteins that you can't just get at Whole Foods. And then in addition, you really did have, you know, an excellent kitchen to work with. I think better than the yeah. Top Chef kitchen. Yeah, like who just has venison sitting around? Yeah, that there must have been some conceit of like, well, we'll get what you play in your dish and we'll go get it for you or something like that. Um, so let's see. During the cooking, the main things are uh, Kwame's making this duck and Tom walks to the kitchen with uh, Jonathan oh, Waxman God. and Kwame's duck was rare and they wouldn't have it. That was painful. It was like dark purple. <clears throat> I felt so bad for him. It, it was not great, but it was a test. It was a test cook. So he was meant it was to a be test duck. figuring it out. Yeah, well, you could screw up a test duck. Uh, sure. And then, that's, um, why, that's why it's a test duck. It's not an official duck. And then you see Marjorie making this uh, parada, this Indian sort of flatbread, and it is just spewing smoke. Like, everyone's coughing. She has to move it off the burner and open a window. And as I, she was cooking that, you could sort of watch it, and you could be like, this is not going to come out right. Like, even if it's not right, spewing right. smoke out, like, something's wrong with the way that, that that flatbread is cooking. Yeah. Yeah, it was painful to watch. You know, it, you know, I used to think I was good at, at guessing the Telegraph stuff. Like, at the beginning, there was a lot of backstory stuff on Amar, a lot of backstory stuff on Marjorie. At least on Top Dress, that used to be a sign that somebody was going to get kicked off. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever you got, like, uh-oh, here comes the backstory. And in this case, I thought Marjorie's story was really sweet. Uh, Mar's story was really nice. Uh, and, yeah, there was some big telegraphing. I th- obviously, the huge telegraphing in retrospect was all of the over-noticing how much Karen wanted China instead of Kwame. Yeah, and she, mm-hmm. even, she even said that the one thing she took away from her period of Japanese history was, oh, it was a time when Chinese people were having like cultural interchange with Japan, so it must be okay to make sort of a Chinese fusion dish. But, you know, J- Japanese food, even today, when you have, well, like we, we talked about when Nick was here and I was telling him the story of that uh, horrible uh, kaiseki dinner I had, that's not Chinese fusion. Like, th- it's, a, it's a living tradition of this, like, very ancient Japanese food. 
and just I can't imagine like every, she must know like what you know traditional Japanese food is like and there's no way it's better to cook for the judges than you know Italian Renaissance like I just don't buy it yeah um, but then they get uh, then they would get burned if they f- did the pasta wrong like th- yeah well better than but but well maybe, maybe it's different because everyone there is you know very knowledgeable about food but at least it tastes good like even if you make pasta wrong it's still pasta Whereas I I would, the I would, best kaiseki, which I ate, was horrible. <laughs> it sounds horrible. I, I, I would. I am so good at overthinking stuff as it is that you know I have tremendous sympathy for the people on this show. However, this is produced, written, and executed. I still have so much sympathy for them because I would be so screwed up in my own head that entire time thinking about second guessing and should I do this or should I do that? And you see that tons on Top Dress. Top Dress, that's a lot of people's undoing is they wait too long. They think too much. They get in their own head and they don't just jump in and start executing on, you know, on, on the one big idea. Well, I, so, so I want to talk about uh, Carl's strategy, handsome Carl. Uh, he, so he had an interesting strategy that is rarely seen on Top Chef. So I think this was probably a result of him having lots of good ingredients to work with. And he, he had, um, I think, ancient Greece, right? So he was doing that Greek dish. And he had a lot of good proteins to work with and a lot of time. And his strategy here was he said, I'm going to cook a bunch of stuff and then put the best things on the plate. So he basically, oh, that's so brilliant. Yeah, and, and I, it was a little offhand comment that wasn't not a lot was made of it. But so, so smart because so often on Top Chef, someone's demise is – they screw up one thing. They screw up the octopus, but then they have to put it on the plate because it's all the dish is. They go all in on like one ingredient prepared a certain way and then, then forget it. Yeah, and then it goes wrong, which of course, like I'm sure Carl had one of the top dishes. And I'm sure a lot of the things he made didn't work. They came out bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was able to – he had he left himself flexibility. So when he plated the dish, he didn't put the bad things on the plate. That's smart. To me, that's like building in flexibility into the challenge so that you can adapt as you go. Um, So props to Carl. Good strategy. Isaac had another good strategy that I really liked, and he sort of served this Viking dish on these like smoking plates, like these big hunks of wood, and like charred them so a little smoke was coming off. Where do you get slices of wood? It it must be a thing that it, the, the the way I understood it is it's like a thing that you'd put in a ki- in a smoker in a kitchen. So on a big commercial smoker, like oh, if you've ever had like Texas barbecue, I think this is the kind of wood they would like huck into the smoker. Okay, that makes sense. It, it seems like an, a very odd thing to just have a bunch of is perfectly sliced uh, plates that look like basically like like a, you know like when you're a kid you learn how to count the rings on a tree. It seems like an odd thing to have around an urban kitchen. He was actually I think he was pretty. So they don't show this in the episode, but I'm sort of inferring here that when you were able to ask the producers for your special ingredients that you needed, Isaac was like, "I need these smoking wood." Oh, clever. Okay. Well, yeah. all of them had uh, different dishes that seemed to coincide with sort of their era and where they were cooking from. That makes sense. I noticed one stack of plates had like a post-it note on it. So um, oh, that's, that does Am- make sense. Amar had his like really fancy French plates with the prints on them. Did yes, anyone else? Yeah. Did you notice any others, Alex? Mm-hmm. Um, both. Karen did have like, a, it's. it seemed, I, I wasn't sure, um, but it seemed like... It, Carl definitely had like a Greek plate. Um, they you'd see in a Greek restaurant. Uh, so <laughs> Opa. <laughs> we don't. Do you know, do you know sweet, the history but... of that? Do you, do you know where that comes from? I finally looked it up because my daughter thinks it's hilarious. Uh, my Greek big fat people... Greek wedding. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. The ancient Greece, all the way back to my big fat. No, but supposedly, it turns out 
Uh, it's uh, it's a uh, you know it's again it's one of those things like Crush and Light Bulb or any of those things. It's Rain on Your Wedding Day. Uh, you know Alanis Morissette. It's uh, so we break a plate. That's a good thing. Now it's good luck. We broke these plates, and so you throw a plate. It breaks, and you say "opa," which is like Greek for "oops." Oh, interesting. Do you know about uh, this? May be a Chicago thing. Do you know about Saganaki, the flaming cheese? Nope. No, no. So in Chicago, there's a Greek town, and there's all of these, you know, middle to high end Greek restaurants, and they're huge. I mean, they see a hundred plus people a night. It's this massive, booming like Greek town. We always, when I was kids, you know, it was always like a really cool, like fancy dinner to go out to one of these Greek restaurants. And over the years, they've all there's like, I mean, there's no joke. There's like six of these restaurants, and they're exactly the same, and they're all very competitive with each other, and they're all looking for that one. They've been there for decades and they're always looking for that one thing that differentiates this place from that place and one of them started doing um this uh well let me see what kind of cheese it is feta maybe um it's uh, it's called saganaki so the cheese used is graviera or halloumi i don't know any of these or sheep's milk feta but it's like a mild sort of melty cheese and then you douse it in i think ouzo and you set it on fire and everyone yells opa and this huge fireball comes up and then you eat this like hot burnt cheese with bread wow it's the best thing i always thought that was some sort of like traditional greek thing but it was just a marketing stunt that all of these restaurants started to adopt when i was huh. a kid and it's that's hilarious it's great if you ever come to chicago you got to go to uh like greek you're, you're bringing me to chicago remember we're gonna find some reason to bring me there. yeah yeah well we got to go to greek isles and we get the flaming cheese, and you yell "opa," which is hilarious. That it means "oops." I love that. I think it's what it means. Um, hey, check out that link I just sent. This is kind of interesting. Uh, one thing that's kind of cool, you know, we do show notes for these episodes. So whenever you're listening to this program, we're done with me uh, you know, talking about my cat. Uh, you can go and look at, and there's many links to things that we've been talking about. We uh, always try to put in links to uh, on the Bravo site to go see the official pages for that episode. We put in some recap information factoids one thing they started doing i don't know if they've always done this i've only noticed it this season is they'll do like a gallery of what all the the dishes look like from the chef testants notice anything interesting looking at this gallery they all have different plates except uh the 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 chinese and the japanese (laughs) oh i'm not saying that means anything but it's kind of interesting Mm -hmm. everybody gets different plates and some of them are not particularly like like i don't look at um Excuse me. I don't look at Marjorie's dish and go, oh, Indian food. Mm-hmm. But like, for example, Isaac's got his Cajun man uh, wooden plate. You've got this very kind of uh, not Doric, but some kind of like a filigree Greek pattern on the on the Greek one. And you've got this very French looking dish um, for Amar. But isn't that kind of interesting that uh, it's a little, little bit ping pong, but the, the Chinese dish and the Japanese dish both have the same bowl. <laughs> and it's the only time they do that. I wonder if that's because Karen asked for the Chinese one. Oh, because she discovered choice. she discovered that there was a time when they briefly used the same bowls. Right. So she figured she could play <laughs> but it's off like, the shit. But I wonder if that was like just more familiar to her because she is a she. I think she cooks in a Chinese restaurant, right? Or Chinese. Fusion? Oh yeah, she's yeah. like Hunan Karen. That's her deal. Yeah. It's like as as Amar is to his uh, raw fish dishes. Yeah. Look at this. I'm just going through them here. I'm good at this. I'm good at this conspiracy theory stuff. Wow. Look at this. I gotta say, this food looks so good this week. It's one of the. I thought I thought Jeremy's looked fantastic. I was like, "Is it really that bad?" I want more crab. Where I didn't get any lamby. <laughs> Bullfrog was so annoying. But man, look at that! This is beautiful. I, look I at, clicked look one at Jer- link too many on the slideshow, and I'm looking at a picture of a partially dressed Padma, and it says, "Padma Lakshmi's throwback modeling shots are timeless." This photo makes us so glad '90s fashion is making a comeback. Mm. <laughs> 
This week on the blog, Gail was mad that they didn't have more of her dress because it's her favorite dress she's ever worn on the show. I love Gail. I gotta. I, I, I'm not doing a good job keeping up with the blog. I gotta. I gotta Gail. Gail. Gail's so kicky. I would have. I would have followed Gail around for a year in college. She's like. She's so cute and so fun and smart. She's I a really, great. I she's her. a great writer too. Like I love her blog oh, posts. Oh yeah. yeah. She's a very lively writer. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well. So let's see. So final judging. Uh, I don't remember who. Oh right, Amar won because they loved his uh, fr- his uh, very classic uh, French dish. Amar had the somewhat confusing note at the end. He was like, my strategy was actually, I w- was trying to be on the bottom and in the middle. It's like a marathon, and now he's going to sprint. Isaac? Isaac didn't win? No, Isaac, was Amar. Amar won. Okay, Isaac okay. wasn't even on the top, I don't think. The top was Amar. Uh, Amar. Isaac. No, um, it was Amar. Uh, I should probably take Carl's notes. Greek thing was on the top. <laughs> um, as well as uh, someone else. Yeah. Oh, oh! It was probably Kwame and his duck. Yes, yes, it was. I love the way he plated the duck. Yeah, that might have been it. So, anyway, <clears throat> Amar wins with his uh, super classic dish, and uh, that's the episode. I didn't look at the coming attractions for next week. This is not a conspiracy theory. I think this is exactly how they produce the show. Like you said, the judges have double standards, and I think that is so that they can send somebody home for whatever reason they want. Because um, all of the dishes, like they said, were very strong. And they were able to tell. I, I was really worried Marjorie was go- going to go home. So it's like, it's like shooting coverage. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's super interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that. It's like it's almost like when you learn how a trick works. Like, you know, lift that ashtray and that's your number. Well, like, you know, <laughs> there's 10 different things in this room that have a num- number under them. I just know that that's the one with your so number, wait, let, right? Let me make, so, 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 so you're saying, like, they basically they, they leave themselves at the beginning of the episodes a couple of outs of what, why someone might go home. And right. they shoot all of those. So in editing, they can kind of build the case against someone. Exactly. Like, okay. uh, like I how can't they... believe that never occurred to me before. Well, That's so brilliant. Like the whole, the whole with Jeremy. Uh, oh, I wanted the gold rush miners. What they would have had, like that, that seemed like bullshit. And it's just that he had a, a slightly weaker j- dish, and they needed uh, a reason to the say gold, that. the golden rush. Yeah, as he called it. Uh, we want more. <laughs> <laughs> the golden rush. That's what he called it. He called it the golden rush. Yeah, that's right. Because um, I, I was really worried that. Um, Marjorie is going to go home, but I think that Karen is the weaker chef. And like they said, like you, you haven't been able to self-edit this season. Um, I am not thrilled that there's like literally one woman left in the cast this season. Mm-hmm. But also, like Karen just was not going to win. Like I mean, Marjorie yep. might win. I really think I really hope Marjorie is in the finals. I think she has a great shot to win this year. But Karen was not going to win. No, goodbye, Pink Dragon. No. <clears throat> no, and you know it's funny because Jeremy's Jeremy's so good and he's won so much, but he seems more like like he's the guy you would hire to work in your restaurant. I bet yep. he's really really great, you know, day in day out, week in week out at a restaurant. But I, I don't know how he'll do. He seems to have a very refined taste. Like he's as much of a dingling surfer drummer as he is. Um, he seems really competent. I I honestly wonder it could be anybody's game at this point. Well, let's talk uh, really briefly about the uh, Last Chance Kitchen. Um, last week, I feel like uh, love the. Ep- By the way, I just want to say love the episode last week. I can't tell you how much fun I had listening to it. I should really never be on this podcast anymore. Like you guys were hey, so good and you. funny together. You're so brave to say that. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, really, really funny, good episode. And uh, my only critique is I don't think you guys spent enough time talking about that. Philip went through his entire Last Chance Kitchen with a just a bag of blood hanging off of his wrist. Just smear. Like, can you believe that they ate that food? By the way, like it was just a wet sack of blood in all the food. 
Yeah, it's like Tom. Tom doesn't want to have the outside edge of a what signon, like a like a bloody uh, <laughs> duck, but he will take a dish prepared by a, by a human blood bag. Yeah, I, I, once again, I don't want your blood duck. <laughs> I don't want your. Don't give me the blood duck. <laughs> uh, just a just a take terrible, my, my excruciating, my... horrible, awful episode of Last Chance Kitchen last week. I just could not. Yeah. I couldn't stand watching it. Just Philip, just profusely bleeding and yelling. Where's my gloves or where's my this or that and he was just, just not attractive the blood was pooling in the glove and no it was, it was too much out. i still haven't watched it i still haven't finished it, it. not good funny so what, how the only bad episode of last chance kitchen <laughs> is phillips yeah just saying oh my god you're just pissing on his grave <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry philip uh anyway this week's episode of last chance kitchen a pretty dumb challenge i think it was mm-hmm. uh, i cannot remember yeah. It wasn't like Merlin, what you describe as one of the saw challenges, like it w- what didn't really sort of have to do with how or why someone uh, went home. But it was like, I, I don't think, but it was to me. It was a teppanyaki I got a challenge. hunch. What do you think? I got a, well, it's not, it's not really a hunch because, again, it's Japanese and Chinese. But um, it's kind of weird and random. Um, and I wonder if it's a weird scheduling thing because did you see next week's is with uh, Chef Yan? Oh, interesting. At a restaurant. My family and I went to for the first time ever the night before we watched this. Huh? Isn't this insane? Like we we went to the um, the Chinese New Year parade uh, downtown, and we thought let's get, let's get dinner while we're down, downtown. We'll go to the fancy mall and go to the nice Chinese restaurant in the mall. <laughs> it's this place called um, not Made in China, but uh, it's it's Chef <laughs> Chef Yan's, and we see like hey, the Buddha's on the wall that we just saw last night. So I don't know if there's some kind of like Asian thing going on, and maybe the scheduling was weird about when they ended up having to put it in. But it seemed extreme. Didn't it seem very random? Uh, I, I didn't. This was in the upcoming episode thing. Oh no! I just. I'm sorry. I'm, let me start over. Last Chance Kitchen usually has something that is strongly associated with the episode you just saw. Right. Sometimes to a fault, right. to where it's super on the nose, and it's as I say, a saw challenge. This one felt extremely random. And I, it seemed like weirdly random. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't understand why they. Uh, I didn't understand why they had the teppanyaki thing. I was trying to remember so any details. Basically, about it, but. you got it's. It's. I always think of it as Benihana. They mm-hmm. had to do like a Benihana show. They right. had to go and uh, do put on a little show and cook something, and you know it was cute. But it was still fun. I mean, the fun and the campering and all that and running around was fun. Mm-hmm. But the challenge itself was kind of silly. God, you know what this. Um, Teppanyaki in the mall thing is reminding me of is uh, probably the funniest uh, story I've ever heard on any podcast, which is on um, John Roderick's other program with uh, Dan Benjamin Roadwork. Right. And right. he talks about opening the Westfield South Center Mall, playing the opening oh, of the mall. That's a great story. That's a hilarious and then story. Eating, I can't remember. It was, <laughs> was it like a soup <laughs> restaurant. He had to go, he had to play the opening of a mall, and he didn't have any. <laughs> He didn't have any monitors. He's playing solo. He's singing his songs about the space shuttle crashing yeah. by himself with an acoustic guitar with no monitors. And apparently the sound for the the audience is bouncing straight off of a wall with like a one and a half second delay. <laughs> it's imagine trying to sing the Star Spangled Banner at Shea Stadium for like 45 minutes. And then they're like, stretch it out, stretch it out. And then, but what was the, but he told this whole story about some and then he sort goes of, out to eat. it was some sort of restaurant at the mall, like the chili bowl or something. It, I don't remember that It was that so That's good. I'm going to send story. it. I will put this in the show notes, but uh, as soon as you're done with this program, uh, I'll put the little time code in, uh, in the, for the overcast in, uh, in the thing. But as soon as you're done with this, uh, go listen to a Roadwork episode three called uh, I Now Declare This Mall Open. 
<laughs> it's a terrific story. I had. To, I remember. I have a very clear memory of when I listened to that in the car. <laughs> I was driving to pick up uh, Ben and Molly at the airport, and I almost crashed the car. I was laughing, so I couldn't see in front of me. I was laughing. <laughs> I so now hard. declare this moment. <laughs> The whole story, because it's one of those great Shaggy, I don't want to spoil it, but it's one of the great Shaggy dog stories where you're like, you get the basic setup and you're like, wow, that sounds weird and lame. And then you're like, oh no, and then that happened. And then, oh no, it's like, it just keeps getting stupider. And It just ends with him telling the story of him eating a bowl of soup too. That's like the perfect, it's like the quintessential John Roderick story. Because he has a half hour story about getting a bowl of soup. All right. Well, oh, so we got to say, uh, so uh, it was. Uh, it's still. Um, uh, what's his name? The uh, awkward guy in Last Jason. Chance Kitchen. Jason. Thank you. Awkward Jason oh, in uh, Last it. Chance Kitchen. Uh, decidedly less awkward though. Like he seems to really be getting it together. He's not like shaking and, and nervous. <laughs> shaking and sweating. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, his, thought his drag uh, personality was actually really charming and and I funny. I love that anecdote and the pictures. That was so hilarious. It was. It was. It was just like way to. You know, if you're going to be on a reality show and be on Top Chef, like, I don't think, I think a lot of people wouldn't have taken that risk and, like, talked about their personal life, whatever. And I honestly made me see a side of Jason's personality that made him just, like, more of a human being to me. Like, it was a good, the right thing to sort of tell the story about and, and be willing to share with the show. I thought that was very, very humanizing and very nice. Yep. I asked Merlin about this last week, and I think we disagree. Max, do you think that he can make it, Jason can make it to the finale? Um, it's interesting. I, I heard, I, I did hear, I heard this conversation and I remember Merlin said, it's just sort of mathematically, if you look at who's left in the competition, it's very unlikely. Um, I do think, here's the thing. I think the way that Last Chance Kitchen is filmed, we've sort of talked about this, is like, it's mm-hmm. filmed all together right before the finale is shot, I think. Mm-hmm. So all these chefs are you know, getting good at cooking within the Top Chef constraints with cameras in your face and people watching you on a time constraint is really difficult. It's really, really hard. It's kind of this skill, this muscle that you build up throughout the season of Top Chef. And Jason has been doing this now for, I don't know if they shoot one last chance kitchen a day or a couple a day, I don't know, but he's gone through it a few times. He's like got his brain working and he's got that muscle memory back and he's aware of the timer and he's making really good food within the constraints of the crazy constraints of these challenges. So I think the the thing is, even if like let's say like someone really good like Philip or Marjorie or not Philip, uh, Jeremy or Marjorie is eliminated, and they're better chef, and on a good day they could beat Jeremy, or jeez, they could beat Jason. Jason's in the zone, right? So maybe he, maybe you know, that's his advantage. Is he's kind of over his nerves, and they're not. I don't know, but I do think there is a chance that like this is just an environment he does really well in, and uh, he does make it back into the competition. I mean, the producers are really building. I, I don't think he's going to win like the whole show. Um, but the producers are really like building up his story, and I, which I've never seen on a Last Chance Kitchen before. So I wonder. I, I think he might make it all the way. It would make me happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm increasingly. I'm really liking him. It helps that the last few weeks, uh, Karen. I actually really hoped won. I wanted to see Karen, you know, on the show more. But before Karen, the last couple of weeks, he's just been battling a bunch of dinglings. So I've very much been like rooting <laughs> for him to win. He also said something. Um, it's in, in retrospect, it's so obvious that you wonder if producers had him say this. But you know, he, given the way his season started and went, 
I would not expect him. He seems very introverted, introverted in the regular show. But he says that he likes being, he likes performing. He's very comfortable performing and essentially being the center of attention. If you think about the difference between regular Top Chef and Last Chance Kitchen, that's the case. He's the home team every week. He gets to go out there and, and start with a certain advantage every week. And so maybe that's part of what's helping him thrive is that he gets to be a lone wolf, not have to deal with the dude bros, and start every week with a kind of implicit advantage and the respect of his peers. Totally. And, and uh, you're more aware, you know, I think on top where reality shows get good is when people forget that they have a camera in their face, when they forget that they're on camera. You know, when I'm shooting something, I can wait for that moment where the interview is like, oh, this person forgets that they're being recorded and they let their guard down. And right. I think it probably for some people, you know, that that's when they show the best side of themselves and their more authentic side. But some people probably could use that editing and that self editing and sort of being aware of the fact that they're on camera and speaking to an audience and having the people there cheering for you, you can't really forget it. Yeah. So a couple things. How many episodes do we have left? Let's look that up. The other thing is I, I feel like I saw something. I don't think this is a spoiler, but did you get that the show's going to end in Las Vegas? Yeah. What a bummer. Like, <laughs> That's so, isn't that strange? Uh, they've, they've ended in a couple uh, domestic locations before, but like, you know, instead of going to France or like South America... Vegas. Well, I mean, it just it's weird to me. I mean, I don't have any particular affinity for California. It's kind of a garbage fire as a state. But like, the, it's the whole conceit of the season is that it's about California. Why would you not just simply end it in L.A.? Well, I think that's like the logical road trip from California as your road trip to Vegas. Oh, right, right, right. But but I, I think they – so a couple of years ago, it was the season um, – boy, I can't remember any one of these seasons. But it was the season where they went to an island at the end. It was like – not Hawaii. Maybe they, the Cayman Islands. Yeah, it was like the sure. they went to some island, and they were cooking for the king in some shack, and the fire alarm went off, and it sprayed all their food. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, and I think ever since then they've been a little more restrained with going to exotic locales. Okay. And and another, oh yeah, that was weird. Another year they went to like Indonesia, and someone got sick. Wasn't that oh, one yeah. that was in like it? It felt like some kind of like like was it not Jamaica? There was somewhere they went. It was really weird, and it seemed. Forgive, forgive my use of this. I do not mean the people. I mean the, just the environment. Kind of primitive. Like it was like in the back of somebody's kitchen at a diner. That's or what. I, that's like the that, one we're, the I think king. that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. That was a that was it, recent. Yeah, and, and it I'm, was very weird. And there was a terrible. Well, fire. What you mean by primitive is like that they the place they like. I know there is good they food get the, there. They could barely get the equipment. Yeah, in they there. had people in like the back of a greasy spoon diner. Like it was just a crazy challenge. Yeah, that was. I do vaguely remember that. That was really strange. But we're getting to the home stretch. I mean, as of this week, I think, um, checking the chef testant chart, I think um, our little homemade chef testant chart, Renee Francis, Grayson Giselle, Angelina Wesley, Jason Chad, Philip Karen, never forget. So all those out, leaving us with, and there were six. And how many people go to the finals? It's two now, and then the third gets added through Last Chance Kitchen? Yep. So probably hmm. probably only a handful of episodes left. <sighs> I'm going uh, to miss doing this show. Well, well, you know, we'll have to. We could just make it about cats. That's true. Because the internet needs to hear more about cats. And we'll just argue about whatever media you were watching at the time that uh, you're. Uh, oh yeah, like whatever it is I'm doing wrong, according to you. Yeah, that's that would be handy. I need another podcast where somebody does would that. You, I, now I feel like a bully. Why don't you tell John Syracuse you were watching uh, Ender's Game? Let him. I don't tell John Syracuse anything. I know. I'm just saying, I like, let, all information. You know what I'm saying is like, let John, John let John fight that war. I'll tell him I watched the first half. 
It's all right. This this film is being unjustly maligned right now. It, it oh no, it, it's two to one. I it's a good it's no, a good movie. No, ah. because I love the books, but the books are a, it's a completely different story. Like I think you could show Ender's Game to your daughter, and she would not be scarred for life. Like I I read Ender's Game, and it was like way too young. Are you, are you guys watching <laughs> Star Trek, Merlin? I've seen almost two Star Trek episodes. <laughs> oh, because you did uh, uh, Random Trek podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. I did Random Trek, and uh, I've seen the one with the triples, okay. and I've seen the one with Ron Howard's brother. Ron Howard's brother. Okay. Yeah. That's the one with the guy with the skinny uh, alien face. Okay. It's the Pythagorean situation. It's, it's, uh, it's the first official episode with the uh, official crew. Oh, okay. You know what it is. Yes. Is the Cor- Corbamite maneuver? Yes. Okay. I just did that from memory. That's very impressive. In your <laughs> face, hot dog That's boy. That's very impressive. <laughs> Uh, so here's the thing. I think you, Merlin. I think you need to get yes. into Star Trek: The Next Generation. It, it totally, <laughs> it totally holds that's, up. That's gonna happen. It totally holds up. It totally holds up. It's really good. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Your oh, daughter oh. will love it. I was her age when sure. I started watching Next Gen. Sure. How many lights are there? All of the lights. Ah. Good reference. Yeah, and you got the cat boy on there. You got the guy who likes cats on there. Cat you got uh, you oh, got crab faces on there. Yeah. Huh? No, I met Crab. I met uh, I met uh, Catboy. I met him on the cruise when he was a kid. He was on that show. Oh, and his our wife friend is, Will uh, Be- Wait Beverly a minute, Riker. You're not on the cruise. The cruise is happening right now. That's right. I wasn't invited back. Beverly Riker. <laughs> that's his mom. Oh no! And then you got uh, you got uh, you got uh, Wesley uh, Crabface. Mm-hmm. You got that guy. And then you, oh, and then you got uh, the lady from uh, Color Purple. Mm-hmm. Uh, she plays the title character in Purple. That's right. She's she's on there. She's the bartender. Uh-huh. Her name is Gaius Gaius Balfour. <laughs> I think her name is Gaius Gaius Andronicus. <laughs> <clears throat> this is you know, the other exciting. thing is, you know, those robots, they never really had a plan. Every week the show would start and they'd say they had a plan. They never really had a plan. Wait, All right. Yeah, that's, that's a good program. Max, why don't you watch Doctor Who and then Merlin watch <laughs> Doctor Trek. Who is bad and corny. Uh, you you do not deserve Doctor Who. You, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go into uh, Mr. Mr. Wonderful mode here. I forbid you from watching <laughs> Doctor Who. You are not permitted to watch Doctor Who until you learn some goddamn manners. But you know what? That's a very brave decision. It's very brave of you to come out as anti-Doctor Who. Thank you. Can I just say thank you for everybody in the room? This has been a very, very brave episode. A, 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 a real Cyrus Dewey Awards of an episode. Everybody gets a Dewey. If you don't release every stitch of this episode, you're dead. dead. <laughs> <laughs> don't. We really have to cut out the part where I shit on Hamilton because people will legitimately be mad at me about that. Who cares? I don't want like people you, on the you, internet you, to be mad at me because I you said You guys edit said these within an inch of their out. life. There's no, you don't even understand why we're laughing at things. You have to leave in more stupid stuff. All right. It's what people come here for. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's end this episode and uh, we're going to see if this was all another layer of the dream or not. This is Top Chef, is not Top Scallops. <laughs>